Welcome to 2023. Welcome to our first episode of this year. This is the Battery Insiders podcast. If you listen to this on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or any of these other platforms, um, this has been a podcast running for over a year, two, I don't even know anymore. At least we're at episode 58, so you can see right a while. Um, we have covered all kinds of topics over the past years now, and I think it's really rewarding. And yeah, for this year, I think, you know, as last year, we're really looking forward to lots of exciting conversations with other battery enthusiasts like ourselves. We're here together as Mariam, co-hosting today's session. And yeah, we're really excited to hear about industry leaders and really fascinating people across the entire battery value chain. And yeah, as I just said, um, if you're on this live, you can also listen to the recording again on all of these platforms. And feel free to get in touch. We always love to hear from you. Give us a rating, all these things. I'm sure you all know how these podcasts work as well. Great. So for today, I'm really excited to pass it on to Mariam to introduce today's topic as well as our speaker. Over to you, Mariam. Thank you so much, Simon. So our speaker today is Saad Dara. He is the CEO and co-founder of Mangrove Lithium. Mangrove is a company that is actually de-risking the lithium supply chain, and it does that by introducing capabilities to convert raw lithium into battery materials, but in a co-localized, distributed, and highly scalable way. So Saad is here today to um, speak to us about how they're doing that at Mangrove, um, and we'd love to introduce him um, and invite him to speak now. Uh, thank you for having me on, uh, both Miriam and Simon. I appreciate the invite and looking forward to talking more about uh, Mangrove uh, and talking about the work that we're doing. Miriam, it's nice to uh, speak to you again as well. I think we spoke probably a year and a half, two years ago uh, on another topic. Um, so it's always nice to speak to uh, familiar uh, people as well as fellow Canadians. Um, but thank you for the introduction. My, my name is Saad. I'm the CEO of Mangrove Lithium. Um, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about um, about myself, uh, what Mangrove is doing, and then uh, talk a little bit about uh, the North American uh, battery supply chain. Uh, please feel free to uh, ask questions for both Simon and Miriam. Um, I'll try and stop at appropriate times um, to give you an opportunity <laughs> if, if I need to clarify anything. So as, as I mentioned, I'm the CEO of Mangrove Lithium. I spun out uh, the company from the University of British Columbia. Uh, in 2017 with uh, three of my other co-founders. Um, we've been trying to commercialize this uh, technology. Uh, we've been working on it for just about 10 years now. Um, it's, it's gone by very quickly. Um, it, it was my PhD. Uh, initially, when we spun out the company, we were focused on water treatment and desalination. Um, quickly realized that water treatment and desalination is a very tough topic, and it's a very... Uh, tough place for, for a business opportunity. Uh, at the same time, in 2018, uh, there was there was a uh, uptick uh, in lithium prices, uh, just, just for very quickly and for a very short period of time. Uh, and we saw uh, an opportunity there. So we decided to uh, approach, um, approach one of the lithium producers in Chile and ask them uh, if they were in, uh, interested in using our technology again for desalination. Uh, water use is a big, um, big deal in in the mining, uh, and they said, "Yeah, we would be interested in this, um, but can you actually process lithium uh, through your through your technology?" And we said, "Yes, we can." 
Uh, and so that that started off um, a little bit on on what we what we're doing. Uh, it it resulted in uh, us looking at uh, different feedstocks that come from lithium processing op uh, options uh, operations and and converting them into raw materials for batteries. Um, I think for the general population here, I think it would be good to talk a little bit about the lithium value supply chain and and where mangrove fits in. Um, the lithium supply chain has uh, effectively s six segments. Um, you have extraction, uh, where lithium is uh, produced or uh, from from different assets, uh, whether that's uh, a lithium brine, uh, like in Chile, Argentina, or Bolivia, uh, or a hard rock mine. Uh, you know, there there's several assets, uh, mostly in Australia, but also in Canada and the United States. Um, there's also direct lithium extraction that's being practiced now that, that uses different techniques, but that produces lithium in a, in a form that's, you know, you can consider it almost like a crude oil um, type production. So you produce a lithium uh, in, in a relatively crude form, and then you have to process it, um, and you have to convert it into, uh, into lithium hydroxide or lithium carbonate. Uh, and so the, that's the second stage, which is the chemical processing. Um, that raw material produced from there goes into the third segment of the, the market, which is anode and cathode production. Uh, and those are the two main components of batteries, uh, the anode and the cathode, well, for any electrochemical system. Uh, and then it goes into the fourth segment where it gets produced into uh, actual cells, um, the ones that you might use in, um, in you know, the cylindrical cells that you might use in your TV remote, um, or it will get many of them will get put together into a battery uh, that might end up in a Tesla or another EV. Uh, so it ends up in applications, uh, different kinds of applications. That's the fifth segment, and finally the more nascent sixth segment is battery recycling. Um, so what Mangrove does is really we focus on the processing space, uh, chemical processing space, where. Uh, the battery extraction company, or sorry, the lithium extraction companies and, and battery manufacturers begin. So we work with different companies in the extraction space to convert their raw uh, crude product into the raw materials that would actually be good enough to be in a battery. Where mangrove is different um, is our technology doesn't use chemical phase separation techniques. Um, that's, that's quite a bit of jargon. Um, but we use uh, electricity. So our technology is uh, a completely electrical system. Um, we use uh, electrochemical methods. Uh, so using electricity, water, uh, and oxygen, those are the three main inputs, as well as the lithium that comes from different feedstocks. And we convert it into lithium hydroxide or lithium carbonate that can be, that can be used in, um, in battery manufacturing. And there are several advantages of doing this. Um, we can obviously talk uh, a lot more about it. Um, but since we spun the company out in 2017, uh, Mangrove has, uh, it's been over the last three years, focused completely on the lithium sector. Uh, we have our pilot plant uh, that's operating in Vancouver. We work with different companies on that. Uh, and now we are in the stage of building our first um, commercial plant. Um, that will that's targeted uh, to be deployed um, over the next uh, eighteen to twenty four months um, uh, with different parts of the lithium supply chain as i as I just described. Um, and so we're super excited. Uh, it's really exciting for me um, as a as somebody who started this 
um, technology, you know, it was still in Tupperware and literally milk jugs um, to have grown over the last 10 years to now building a commercial plant. Um, so it's been a really exciting journey of technology and uh, technology commercialization for me. Um, but also, you know, now the team has kept growing. Um, we're marching our way towards, uh, we're, we're 25 people now, we're marching our way towards uh, 40-ish. Um, super exciting to have all these really intelligent people join me on this journey uh, and can't can't speak enough of the the team that that's coming together um, so looking forward to the the next stages i'll stop there for a little bit uh i'm sure there are questions and there are comments uh, i don't want it to be a, completely a monologue thank you so much sad yes we have a million questions for you uh you'd mentioned that mangrove is focused on the processing um part of the process and i'm wondering if you can articulate what the exact problem it is that you're solving. Is it the economics or is it the risks of the supply chain? Is it a combination of everything? Yeah, um, so there are several problems. Um, do you drive an EV, Miriam or Simon? Unfortunately, I do not drive, period. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Same at this point, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I've, I've been trying, um, for about a year and a half to find get it get a get an EV, um, I do end up having to drive quite a bit. Um, I can't afford one uh, simply. And for from our perspective, um, one of the things that needs to happen for electric vehicles uh, to be widely adopted, and we've already seen you know this uh, start of this uh, for wide scale adoption, we believe that EV um, EVs are going to have to achieve cost parity with internal combustion engine vehicles. Um, that cost parity, in our opinion, uh, is reliant on having a secure supply of raw materials, as well as price stability of raw materials. Um, if you've been following lithium prices over the last two years, um, they've gone from the record of lithium hydroxide, lithium carbonate price being at about you know $28,000 per ton uh, to just over $85,000 a ton. Uh, and it doesn't seem to be coming down. It's kind of plateaued at that. Uh, $80,000 a ton. Uh, it's It's been enough, the price increase in the raw materials has been enough that for the first time um, in lithium-ion batteries the last year, um, advancements in uh, technologies and advancements in improvements um, in lithium-ion batteries, which brought the cost down, uh, were undone because of raw material prices. So prices um, for uh, lithium-ion batteries went up for the first time. And so that's that's really the problem. Um, the lithium um, supply is uh, is not growing nearly at the rate uh, that demand is growing. Um, you know, I I'd say this is one of the things that happened post COVID. Uh, before COVID, nobody could have predicted. Uh, even the most aggressive um, predictions could not have expected that lithium demand would be where it is today. Um, and supply just hasn't kept up. Um, we've seen uh, numbers where lithium um, lithium demand is expected to double every three years for the next 15. Um, and we're talking about, you know, the lithium sector having taken like 40 years to achieve the production that they have now, but we need to now double that production every three years for the next 15. So 
that growth um, is, is, is a huge problem uh, to me. Um, and so that's going to, to limit how many EVs we can uh, get on the market. From, from my estimation, from uh, our internal calculations, we think that between now and 2040, it's going to prevent about uh, 350 million electric vehicles from, from coming onto the market. Um, and that has that has implications with respect to climate change. It has implications with meeting climate goals um, and other things. In addition to the demand supply gap, um, you also have a very um, centralized, uh, geographically controlled uh, lithium supply chain. <clears throat> China did an incredible job uh, in dominating that supply. Um, so most of the world's assets, 70% of the world's assets are in Chile, Argentina, um, and Australia, but over 80% of the downstream chemical refining onward stage uh, of lithium ion battery or lithium ion battery supply chain is in China. Um, and recently we've, you know, we've heard a lot of, uh, talk about, um, onshoring, uh, lithium supply. Um, producing uh, lithium-ion batteries in, in North America, um, producing lithium-ion batteries in, in Europe. Um, we cannot move the assets. We cannot move the mines themselves. Um, but the refining capacity onwards uh, needs to be onshored. So what Mangrove is doing um, and what Mangrove is looking to do uh, is be an important player within that, uh, within North America and Europe. We're committed to using our technology, which is uh, in its essence, um, a platform technology uh, that can co-locate either with the mines um, or with um, cathode, anode, or battery manufacturing centers, or act as a refinery and develop those capabilities in North America and Europe. So the core technology has its own inherent advantages in terms of being able to reduce uh, OPEX and CAPEX for mining operations. But also because of its flexible nature, being able to take different feedstocks, um, being able to work um, independently as a refinery, uh, we, we see an opportunity for, for the technology to start developing refining capacity in North America and Europe, which means that uh, we're less reliant on Asian markets uh, for, for, for our product. Uh, and that, that has important geopolitical reasons. That, that's quite substantial. and. And so you mentioned the uh, feedstock flexibility. Sure. Can you explain that in a bit more detail, and especially in terms of how that can actually, uh, you know, improve the, the capacity for us to be processing these raw lithium into uh, battery materials? Sure. Um, feedstock flexibility, what that means uh, is that Mangrove, uh, as a company or as a technology, doesn't really care uh, where the lithium comes from or what kind of asset it comes from. So within lithium extraction, there are you know, three, four different kinds of uh, assets. So you have the lithium brines, uh, lake, uh, lakes that are rich in lithium, uh, predominantly in Chile, Argentina, and Bolivia. Then you have hard rock, uh, which produces spodumene, um, and that is mostly in, in Australia, some in the United States, some in uh, Canada. Um, so those are the two biggest uh, reserves of lithium. Then you have uh, clays, um, which are also lithium-rich type um, sediments. Uh, and then finally, more recently, we have uh, you know direct lithium extraction that's being applied by companies like Lilac um, that uh, that relies on removing lithium from 
let's call them unconventional uh, waters. Uh, so geothermal uh, or lakes that are not as um, concentrated or even traditional brines, but uh, they're, they're applying, uh, applying their technology so, so we don't have to rely on solar evaporation. <clears throat> so all of these will, will produce some sort of lithium. It will either be a lithium chloride uh, or it will be a lithium sulfate. Our technology is flexible in that we can work with lithium chloride or we can work with lithium sulfate. So how it's extracted is really not that important for us. Um, the box that we use for it is exactly the same. So that's what I mean by feedstock flexibility. And in terms of, uh, you know, when we talk about mining companies, um, that that means for, for us, we're making the same product, whether it goes in. Um, with a mine in Chile or whether it goes with a battery recycling operation somewhere else or it goes with um, with a spot you mean operation uh, in Australia and there are different advantages for each of those uh, sectors um, you know in terms of purity in terms of cost reduction in terms of waste production um, or, or closing the loop on the consumables as well as uh, conversion conversion to the final product Great, thank you so much, Saad. And I think, yeah, there's also a couple of questions in the chat. Please keep them coming. We'll get back to them um, in, in a bit. But yeah, just a few other follow-up questions before that, Saad. Um, I think maybe one quick one on the cost topic, right, you mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, because I, I may very much agree. I think we all agree, right? You know, we want to reduce the cost of EVs. And of course, the, the lifetime cost is already, you know, can be better today. So, you know, environmentally, it's already better. So. You know, it, there's some progress, but as you say, you know, the cost has to be reduced further. And there's different strategies. I'm just wondering, do you know roughly what's the percentage now of of the cost of a battery, you know, lithium by itself? Because I know the cost, right, of the anode, cathode, etc. But do you know roughly the cost of lithium for a lithium ion battery? Um, the cost of, uh, like, on a metric ton basis? No, more like in the battery, right? Like, what's the percentage you now? Maybe uh -huh. central things here. Like, how much of this battery cost today, roughly? Is lithium? I mean, I know it fluctuates a lot, but just to ballpark maybe for our listeners, do you have a number there in mind? Uh, I can't remember it right now. Um, I can find it and get it to you another time, uh, if that's okay. Uh, you know, it, it is, uh, I will say that it's, um, I'll have to look at it, but um, again, but, and, and what it was based on. Surprisingly, it is not the biggest cost. There's a lot of things that come in, um, but it is now becoming enough that it's uh, undoing, uh, uh, undoing progress. But also, I think the more important point is that if you actually don't have lithium or you can't secure the lithium, then you can't make a battery uh, because you don't have the raw material for it. And getting, um, getting lithium uh, and producing uh, supply or get, you know, enabling supply to come on faster um, is, is actually a, a more important thing. And so production cost um, reduction uh, is important, uh, not in the sense of uh, so much how much impact it may have on battery cost, but really more on, well, if, your, if production cost is less, then that investment uh, opportunity is uh, significantly more attractive. Uh, and if you can improve the mines, uh, you know, economics uh, in terms of uh, its IRR, then you allow it to be funded faster uh, and that allows supply to come on faster. So that's one of the big uh, thesis on on what Mangrove is working on. No, and I absolutely can see that, right? I think as we just touched on, right, Inflation Reduction Act, 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, you know, kind of, yeah, you know, putting to place the need localized by chain as here Barrett in from our team also on the on the on the call, and um, you know, we just did a piece on that as well. Um, um, so I think, yeah, that's I think you're absolutely right in our newsletter, etc. So I think the um, you know the, the supply is a big topic. Maybe just two two kind of other related questions. Um, one. Because um, it just came up, right? When you mentioned lithium, we also see a lot of hype right now about sodium ion batteries. Um, mm-hmm. I was just wondering: is this something you ever looked at? Kind of, can you use similar techniques to also get sodium? But I'm not sure. I mean, yeah, I haven't really looked into this at all. I'm just curious. Uh, I have not looked in, uh, into sodium ion batteries as much. Um, I, I think you know, sodium ion batteries uh, are, are rather in how they're they're put together. Um, it, uh, I think uh, sodium ion batteries are going to have a really good place, uh, especially in grid storage. Um, but I haven't uh, looked at whether our technology can be applied there. Um, we we can sir, we will we'll, that will be a new thing for our business development team to <laughs> progress on. That makes sense. I'm sure that the the demand by itself is, is is big enough for now. Um, and then maybe one last question from my side, and I'm not sure, ma'am, you want to give some more or you want to go to the audience because I know there's quite a few questions already, but I'm just curious on the topic of feedstock, right, where you get your materials from. I think it's super interesting what you said, right, this topic of you don't really care, you know, how the lithium is mined at this point. Is it like out of brines, out of water? Is it like, you know, out of Australia, you know, like out of, you know, rock or whatever it might be? Um but I'm wondering also, like, can you also use your process for recycled or like to get lithium out of, you know, recycled um, slurry or like, you know, feedstock? Because of course, that's a big topic as well, right? To do this cost effective. And especially when I'm saying it also looking at Europe, right? We have this European battery regulation, which will come into place this year. And that also has requirements on lithium recycling. So you actually have to find a way to recycle lithium. And of course, as cost effective, the better. So I'm just curious, is this something you also have looked at on? Yeah. Yeah, yes, uh, we have actually, um, and there, there's a very strong fit for our technology within uh, within battery recycling too. Um, I, I won't share uh, share the details on on the projects, um, but you know, I think when you when you recycle batteries, uh, so we we let me step back. Um, we talked a little bit about uh, you either produce lithium chloride or you produce lithium sulfate when you do upstream extraction. So uh, mining from brines, hard rock, clays, uh, or direct lithium extraction, you produce lithium chloride or lithium sulfate. So what happens in a battery recycling operation uh, is you get all these batteries uh, from different places. Um, imagine a lithium battery recycling operation as as a mining operation as well, except your source of uh, the mine is distributed everywhere around Europe or everywhere around uh, North America. Um, I can't remember, but I uh, I think I saw somewhere, um, I'll have to find this, but it was interesting that there was potentially more lithium in people's homes than on the continental United States um, because it was just sitting in batteries. Um, so you, you have all of these batteries, you get them into a certain central place, uh, you crush them, uh, you process them, well, you have to discharge them and stuff like that too. You crush them, you process them, uh, and then you produce a black mass, um, and that black mass then gets processed further uh, into the different different metals. So you get copper out of it, nickel, cobalt, lithium, uh, another one maybe, but I'm, I might be forgetting. But you get those four major uh, components out of it, uh, and then those go into uh, into you know production again. 
So the battery recycling operation with respect to lithium will produce lithium sulfate. Uh, so as I mentioned, you know, we don't, we don't care so much about where the lithium sulfate comes from um, or lithium chloride comes from. Same thing applies here. Um, the quite strong advantage for this um, in terms of battery recycling um, is that we actually produce a byproduct that's quite important. Um, the lithium sulfate operation uh, from battery recycling is very, very similar um, to a spot humane operation, so hard rock. So hard rock also has the same problem um, that for every ton of lithium hydroxide that you produce, you produce two tons of a waste sodium sulfate. So battery recycling operations um, will, will likely have, have this waste that needs to be disposed of as well. Um, predominantly in, in the past, you know, we, we, used, uh, we used to use sodium sulfate in powdered detergents, but everybody uses liquid detergents now, so that market isn't there. And so this is becoming a burden for, um, for that. Uh, when we use our process, we take that lithium sulfate, we directly convert that into lithium hydroxide. Uh, that goes off to battery manufacturing. One of the byproducts that we get is sulfuric acid. And that sulfuric acid gets completely used in the battery recycling operation. Uh, and so one of their biggest consumables on, on sulfuric acid uh, consumption is completely met with our process. We also uh, produce battery-grade lithium hydroxide out of it, uh, and we have no sodium sulfate disposal. So we completely eliminate that burden. Uh, and so that's, um, that's a future market that we're, uh, we're looking at. And uh, that's a future market uh, that, you know, it, we're working towards. Um, we, we do have projects in that space. Um, but I'll say that that future market is actually now. Um, there's quite a bit happening. Most of, uh, most of the batteries that are being recycled right now are production scrap. So batteries are not good enough to go onto the market. Um, but uh, that market is going to grow and it will keep growing uh, over it. Probably in the next 80 years, it will become uh, quite, quite significant. Thank you, Saad. Um, so, you know, a significant point that you mentioned is the lack of supply to be able to meet the demand of lithium uh, that we need today. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, an electrochemical system uh, in its current state can be more expensive than a lot of the chemical processes um, that have been going on for three years now. Can you, can you describe at scale if the electrochemical process you're building can actually compete with the economics of uh, their alternatives, the chemical ways in which we process the raw lithium today? Very good question. Uh, and yes, the short answer is absolutely. Um, so when we apply lithium hydroxide production, um, let's, uh, let's, we, we can talk about it in terms of case studies. So uh, lithium brines, uh, typically, uh, they produce they, they'll go through the solar evaporation process. Uh, lithium brines will produce a lithium carbonate. Um, and if you need to convert, if you need lithium hydroxide, which is often what's required for uh, uh, high performing batteries, then you need a second plant and you need second OPEX um, for, um, for that. Uh, typically, the lit uh, lithium hydroxide production from brines um, is in the four and a half uh, to five and a half thousand dollars per ton range. We believe that we'll be able to bring that technology, bring that cost below three thousand, um, and we have good good reasons for that. Um, in addition um, to in addition to that uh, opex reduction, we also eliminate that second plant that's required for. Uh, 
converting the lithium carbonate to lithium hydroxide. Predominantly right now, brines don't actually do the second part. They actually send it to the lithium carbonate to China where it gets refined uh, and then it goes for use in lithium hydroxide. We can do that at the mine level um, in Chile or Argentina uh, with our technology and reduce that cost, uh, eliminate that second plant uh, and remove the um, or remove the reliance on um, on Asian converters for it. Uh, so that's that's what we so roughly we expect like a forty percent opex reduction as well as um, quite a bit of a capex reduction with brines with our technology. With respect to um, hard rock or lithium sulfate operations, um, the the opex the capex reduction is the capex is about the you know about the same I would say, um, but uh, there is there is an opex reduction as well. Um, that uh, the the percentage I'll have to remember, um, but it's uh, it's not forty percent. It's in the twenty to thirty percent opex reduction, uh, but also it eliminates the waste disposal, um, and so that waste disposal um, and and the consumables associated with it become quite a big challenge. Um, so from our from from what we're doing. Uh, the electrochemical uh, process, even even uh, at you know quite competitive electrical prices, uh, so by I mean you know in the ten cents a kilowatt hour range, um, we know we will be more economic. Uh, there is risk associated with electrochemical technologies; they need to be proven, um, and that's that's what we're doing right now. Um, in terms of uh, you know the future, um, if if we believe the uh, in the future of cheap electrons, uh, so electricity coming down because of renewables to one or two cents a kilowatt hour. That's just even even more reason to apply uh, apply electrochemical systems uh, to those. But yes, they you know they're at a point where for the lithium sector at least they need to still be proven. Thank you so much, Saad. Now we have a, a few questions in the chat and uh, I'll uh, leave it to Simon to introduce our audience members and their questions. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, okay, and Saad for great insights. Okay, Mark, would you like to go first? Thanks for joining. Mark, can you hear us? You're muted at this point. Otherwise, maybe oh, we go to the next one. Uh, I think the next question, Ngoto, would you like to go? Maybe there's a technical issue. I will <laughs> give you well, a moment. We have the questions in... Um... In the chat, should we go through those? Yeah, why not? Why don't you? Abby, let's let me ask the one from Mark first, and then maybe for the second one sure. you can go. So the first question from Mark was, "What is the business model for your technology licensing, fee for service model, etc.?" Uh, thank you, Mark. I, that that is a good question. I like to talk about that too. Uh, <laughs> I, our our model. Sorry, Sad. I think you're breaking up a bit. Um, right now, the for the first systems that we're working on, um, we our model is. Uh, I think Sad, we might lost you for a second. Is it better now? Is, is, it, is it better? Can you hear me now? Oh yeah, it's much better on my end. Okay, excellent. Uh, yeah, might have just been the internet connection. Um, that's a very good question uh, on the business model. Um, so currently our business model uh, for our first plants, the ones that um, we are putting out over the next you know, 18 to 24 months uh, is going to be fee for services. So we, we will own the uh, technology, we'll put it on, uh, on the site, uh, we'll operate it um, and, and operate it as a services model. Uh, and that's been, um, at that, that's been pursued 
because we want to de-risk the technology um, and we want to prove it uh, to the market. But once it has been proven, the intention is that after that, um, the, the plants would be licensed uh, to, to different producers or different companies for use um, with, with, the, with a fee as well. Um, but we would provide the technology and continue to provide support. And so those are the two business models that we're pursuing at this time. Hey, I'd like to uh, answer the second question I asked. Thank you for the first question, Saad. So my second question is, your goal is to start with a lithium concentrate, either chloride or sulfate, and convert that into battery-grade lithium uh, hydroxide. Is that, is that a correct statement, or is that a hope? No, that's, that's a correct statement. Okay. Um, so I'm curious how your technology that is better than traditional salt splitting um, in terms of electrochemistry, because that typically uses electrochemistry to do, you know, the same sort of thing, turn a, mm -hmm. you know, uh, what's your advantage of your technology? Versus traditional salt spots, uh, traditional salt splitting? Yeah. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So um, it depends, depends on what feedstock we're applying it to. Um, with respect to lithium chloride, um, I, we don't have any uh, production of chlorine gas. Uh, that's an important uh, part of it. We don't have any production of hydrogen gas. Um, and that's, uh, you know, we don't have hand handling requirements there. Um, in terms of the actual purity of the lithium hydroxide, um, the way we run uh, the electrochemical cell uh, is slightly different. Um, and that, that has uh, purity advantages in terms of how much chlorine, chlorine or perchlorates uh, end up in the lithium hydroxide. With respect to uh, both uh, with lithium, um, uh, lithium sulfate, uh, the purity of both the lithium hydroxide and sulfuric acid um, are quite, quite important there. Uh, in addition to that, um, we also recover uh, a lot more lithium. Uh, traditional salt splitting, roughly, well, you know, the system has, in, at least in a single pass, has um, quite a bit of um, lithium staying within the system. We, we recover 95, 98% off it. Uh, so there are several technical advantages um, related, to, uh, related to traditional methods. Uh, as well as energy consumption. Um, we will, the way we are running the technology, we will have the lowest energy consumption. It's uh, from fundamental thermodynamics. Um, uh, our main differentiator there is oxygen cathode, uh, and that oxygen cathode allows us to reduce the energy consumption significantly. Thank you. I had a, I had a quick third question. So you're able to, to get recovery of, say, a minimum 95%, which is, I think, higher than traditional refineries. Typically, you lose some recovery when you go to traditional lithium refinery for that. I think it's more than that 5% you're speaking of. So um, is there a, a limit, is there an impurity limit that you, that limits the operations unit? Meaning, let's say they send you a product that's 10% iron in that solution, and is that going to affect the of it to run effectively? Uh, of course, you know, and, and, uh, the impurities that are in the salt will, of course, affect it. Um, typically, we work with customers that have very good uh, compositions, and we, we prioritize based on based out on that. We do take some pretreatment within our scope, uh, depending on what it is. There are obviously uh, resources that we look at and we say, like, oh, this is this is just going to be a very uh, difficult play. Um, but, but predominantly we look at those and say like, okay, we, this is, 
this will need to go through some sort of pretreatment step. And we have very strong capabilities on that. We understand that quite well. Um, and then we, we process it further with the electrochemical system. So uh, in terms of the product offering, you know, we're not just limiting it to the electrochemical uh, cells. Um, we do provide other uh, kind of uh, process flow sheet uh, type uh, additional capabilities as well. Thank you for your time. I appreciate your answers. Thank you for your question. That's great. Thank you. And Goto, would you like to try it again? Or should we ask your questions for you? Maya, would you like to, to ask them for Goto? Let's do it. So I'm going to ask a couple of questions. First being, how much, well, first off, impressive progress. How much did you, um, did it cost to set up a commercial refinery? Was it a lengthy process with renewed interest in lithium batteries? Um, uh, thank you for the uh, compliment. Um, we haven't set up a refinery yet. Um, we are working on it. Um, so I can't answer that question. I will tell you once it's done. Perfect. And how environmentally friendly is the production process in the market? Um, it, it, I, I don't know if I can, uh, I'm, I'm not sure if I understand the, the question completely. Uh, environmental uh, for the traditional process, uh, current processes or our process. And do we have a sense on that? Because that would change uh, the answer quite a bit. If I can say what I'm curious about is if uh, there's a quantification for the CO2 abatement you're able to introduce by replacing um, a really carbon intensive chemical process with your electrochemical process. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, it, that will depend a lot on work, what your electricity source is. Uh, I, I'd argue that, you know, if you're using diesel for your electricity source, uh, it's going to be quite difficult. Um, from from our perspective, from what we've looked at, uh, we do think that there will still be, even with the natural gas-based uh, electricity, uh, there will still be a carbon uh, emissions reduction. I think uh, a lot of that will be, uh, a large portion of that is associated with uh, the trucking and shipping of chemicals that are often required. Um, those, those have the carbon emissions associated with it, uh, as opposed to if you have um, electrical-based systems, um, where you don't have that, that trucking and shipping and that, that will reduce it. Um, I will say um, that um, I, I don't know the exact number, uh, but of course, if it's, you know, with renewables, um, you'll, you'll certainly be uh, quite, quite far ahead. Um, and that's, that's the opportunity. Um, I'll have to take a look at what kind of, uh, electrical source uh, you have to you know, you can't use before it becomes uh, higher emissions than traditional processes. Thank you. You're welcome. Oh, and Gotho, your audio is on. Was that yeah. the answer to your question? Yeah, precisely. <laughs> yeah, you, you got it right Perfect. about um, the carbon. Wonderful. Do you have any follow-up questions? No, I, I think we're, not, we're good. Thanks. Awesome. Barrett, do you have any questions for Sad? Uh, yeah, Mariam, thank you. Uh, thanks, Seth, for the detailed explanation about your recycling process and things like that. So I do have a question. So in, in our, um, I just attended a meeting where we uh, interviewed many people on the recycling, like in the battery associate battery day, when we ask for what is the recycling method that will be uh, highly adopted in future, many says it's like hydrometallurgical, maybe in future, they also move towards direct recycling. 
so what's your comment on it is it like in the near future we will adopt hydrometallurgical and move to advanced recycling techniques like what you are developing and maybe finally reaching down a direct recycling process when we have a standardized lithium ion battery or something else like that uh this is a good question and i think it's a it's a good question for a lithium battery recycling expert um i'm not i'm not one um from what we have seen um most or, or at least uh, it looks like hydrometallurgical will be will be dominant um or, or is going to be uh, coming up but i i'm not an expert in uh, in battery recycling so i can't comment i'm sorry uh, that's okay and uh, do you have any specific cost numbers on your mind for example what is the cost of uh, maybe a, a per ton cost of recycled lithium to really i mean the fresh lithium the primary and the secondary raw material so uh, and also is there any possibility to avail some tax benefits if you think like that yeah uh, again uh, i can't comment on that again because it's uh, it's not within my wheelhouse um but uh in terms of tax uh, abatements and I, I know that there is quite a bit of opportunity with the um the inflation reduction act uh, uh that, that biden uh, released um so there are quite a few opportunities there for uh, battery recycling operations as well as um for even production capabilities and i know that canada is looking at uh, doing something similar so I, I think from a policy perspective there there will be policies that will improve those economics uh that will encourage um uh, mm -hmm. further um transition towards uh, in electricity or electrification um i, I don't have exactly the the policy numbers there um but um i can't comment on the cost again because i just don't have it Okay, that's great. Thank you. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you, Parvathan. Thank you, sir. Maybe also, just on a question, I get it's tricky, but I'm just wondering, is there like anything you know about size? Because we have looked at this also in the past, right? Kind of, we spoke about this, right? Like, you know, what kind of installation do you need to make it economically viable, right? So, is there like a minimum amount, let's say, of, you know, how much you have to process, let's say, a day of, you know, how many tons or whatever, or kilo? Or just curious kind of to get a bit of an understanding how small could you break this down and could it become more like a decentralized topic or do you need like big, you know, like big refiner installations to make it make, you know, worthwhile economically? Um, from a mangrove perspective? Yes, from yeah, your experience, uh, or, yeah, your perspective, yeah. Yeah, we think the smallest, um, well, let, let's put it this way, uh, the economics are dependent on several different factors. So, you know, electricity is one component of that. Labor is a second um, labor costs are uh, themselves uh, quite important. And then you have uh, other things that go into it um, in terms of replacement of parts, uh, pretreatment, etc. Um, we think that uh, Mangrove will have essentially two product offerings. Um, and those are going to be a 3,000 uh, tons per year plant uh, and a 10,000 tons per year plant. Uh, so uh, in terms of um, why we've chosen those numbers, uh, it's based on what we've seen in the market uh, with respect to the size of the actual project. So um, from a, a battery recycling or uh, some of the smaller uh, lithium mining operations, we think the 3000 type plants being, uh, being modular plants uh, and increasing capacity that way up to, let's say, 9000. Uh, or, or seven or eight thousand 
is the is the approach. But if you're looking at big mines, uh, for example, in South America, um, we we think that uh, you know they have capacity of twenty thousand or thirty thousand. Uh, then the ten thousand tons of plants would be what would be replicated and brought on uh, in phases. So from based on you know just what we we think uh, the product offerings for mangrove will be, I'd say that uh, economically you probably uh, need to be in the two thousand to three thousand tons per year range um, of lithium hydroxide. Uh, so the LCE equivalent, I don't have exactly, but it will be similar to that uh, for for it to make you know good economic sense, um, it, or at least you you can get to you get to take advantages of economies of scale there. Smaller than that, you're you're suffering on labor, you're suffering on economies of scale, uh, things like that. That's great. Maybe just to get a ballpark, and I know it's, it's tricky, but just I mean to give feel like how expensive are these? Because I'm wondering why don't we have more at this point, right? Because it's always this topic of there's not many refiners out there, especially in North America, right? So is it like can you give a ballpark how much these would cost, or I mean yours or anybody else's? Um, <laughs> given, given the customer discussions that we're having, I'd rather not share that number. Um, so I'll, uh, I'll, I'll say no comment to that. Um, but, um, in terms of why we don't have more refining, uh, I think people, you know, people haven't paid attention to the lithium market and North America and Europe are behind. Uh, most of that, you know, has gone to China because they've looked to invest in it a lot earlier than um, than we we have, uh, and that's that's credit to them. Um, so we do need to bring this here, uh, and whether that's electrochemical or traditional, we need to start thinking about it. I it should say that the bottleneck isn't just the refining. The bottleneck is not enough mines coming online um, in in North America, in Europe, or how long it takes even just the mind to to come together. Uh, you know, it can take five to seven years at least for it to start production. So unless we, we predicted in 2017 or 2018 that lithium demand was going to be what it is today, we're going to be behind. Um, and so it's just, you know, it takes a long time for these things to come online. Um, and in, in addition to that, if you're, in North America and Europe, typically permitting requirements are even more stringent or take even longer. Um, so those things need to be accelerated for, for this to happen. Thank you so much, Saad. Now, I, I have a question relating to the target market. Um, <laughs> you know, as, as if it wasn't difficult enough to bring a new technology to market, scale it up and so on, oftentimes it's the go-to-market that can make the biggest difference in mass adoption. Yes. And, um, and so can you speak to us a little bit about where is it that you're seeing the biggest pull, the greatest urgency, the highest willingness to pay uh, for co-locating your technology? Yeah, uh, uh, this is uh, for, for any startup, uh, speed to market uh, and proving the technology as quickly as possible uh, is the most important thing. Uh, and, and that's important not just from you know, our own internal cash burn rates uh, or how much it takes to develop and develop the technology. Uh, and the quicker you do it, the less you, you, you'll end up maybe spending. Um, but also it, it prevents other competitors from being able to enter um, the market. So speed is, uh, is of the essence. Um, that does not go well with 
big mining companies. They are slow moving uh, ships and sales cycles can, can be quite, quite long. Um, where we've seen um, the fastest traction um, is, and I would say, actually in the battery recycling space, where they have been moving much quicker. Um, we, with respect to our go-to-market strategy, uh, our strategy has been uh, fastest uh, to to deploy, uh, and the fastest to show uh, a reference customer that we can uh, then work with and point to and say, look, the technology is working here, um, and it will apply there as well. Um, that's that's been our strategy. Uh, so we're working with companies across the supply chain, um, uh, so upstream. Uh, process, chemical processing, uh, anode capital production, as well as um, recycling uh, to get to that point. Uh, just going back to the previous question that uh, that Simon asked on why hasn't this been done or why haven't electrochemical technologies been applied uh, or deployed more, more widely? And one of the things is also the risk remaining, uh, or rather I should say the perceived risk remaining uh, as an electrochemist, you know, there are certainly things that we, we still have to prove out, um, but electrochemical methods have been around for a while and they have been successful. Um, but there is a perceived risk remaining within within the market um, in proving it out. Uh, and so that needs to happen. And I think once you have the first one or two uh, systems that are, that are demonstrated and proven uh, to have reliability, then this will become much more uh, much more common. Great, thank you for, for sharing that. Just wondering if anybody has any other questions, please don't miss the chance to ask it. I think there's, there's a lot of interesting um, topics here to be addressed. Great, just looking. If anybody else has a question, Mark, and go to Bioearth Crystal, for you to come in, or anybody else also here listening in right now, Philip and others, you're welcome to ask any questions as well. Otherwise, I can also bring another one. I'm just kind of curious where you see the, the market to develop. So do you think, for example, North America will become a leader in lithium and you know on the lithium topic? Um, just curious on this topic. I, I certainly hope so. Um, <laughs> I, so I think uh, North America will, con will build a lot more capacity and will become much more active within the space. Uh, unfortunately, maybe not unfortunately, but but I think that China will continue to be uh, dominant. They'll they'll lose. They'll you know I think they have like eighty percent market share, um, but I don't think they're they're going to lose that to below fifty anytime soon. Um, North America is just going to take too long. Um, so for the foreseeable future, I would I think that um, the Asian markets will continue to dominate. Uh, I think North America will will become an important uh, player. Uh, I think um, <clears throat> there, uh, Australia is continuing. Uh, I think our uh, you know continuing to be one of the strongest countries. Um, I think Argentina will will be uh, will be uh, next behind them, um, and, the, and that might that will depend a little bit on you know what the political situation is in both Argentina and in Chile, um, depending on the what's happening in the Chilean jurisdictions. I'm not fully aware uh, of that with the new governments. Um, I think Canada will also play an important role. Um, and that will that will be because of um, our assets. Um, I think we, we have 
not just the mining capabilities, but also uh, in terms of what we can do within within the within the battery EV space. Um, so I think those countries will will be important. I think you know North America will will become a stronger player, but Asian markets will likely continue to dominate. Great, thank you. And I think we will also go to oh, Crystal. We just lost her, I think, in a moment. There were just a few quick follow-up questions on this one. So one, um, would it make sense to kind of go closer to the mines itself? Because, I mean, just to understand, like, well, what would you get, right? Like, you know, just from a weight perspective, because I know, for example, a lot of the, you know, mine materials shipped, let's say, from Australia and Chile, et cetera, to, to China. And I was, as you said, I was quite surprised that, you know, I mean, lithium is quite, you know, decent, like it's distributed in a couple of countries and a couple of countries who can mine. But refining is done very, you know, it's, it's, it's very um, concentrated right now as China. So I'm just curious, could you put your refining installations closer to the mines? One question. And then also just on the energy topic, I mean, because I know in China, right, like a lot of gun with gas, a lot of roasting going on, et cetera. Um, I'm just curious, like how much C2 can maybe save through your process if you go all renewables, et cetera. I'm just curious. Uh, yeah, so we, we can uh, locate with, with mines and actually that's what we're working on as well. Uh, so we, we do plan on uh, being located with mines. Uh, having said that, the, the capacity that's required on mines uh, is quite quite big, uh, and so when you're looking to prove a new process, uh, you know what scale you need to have it proven um, quickest. That's capex efficient. Uh, that is uh, that's quite important, um, and and also we're we're a Canadian company, small company, uh, so we're focused right now on U.S. and Canada on for that first plant. But the but the plan is to actually be uh, built into mines at where the assets are, so so that is something that is something that we. But it's a longer uh, longer term or mid mid term plan. Um, in terms of the CO two abatement, again, I'll I'll have to go back and look at the exact numbers. Um, but uh, you know, we don't we won't be uh, affecting. Uh, uh, emissions from, for example, roasting. We don't get involved in that stage. Um, but they, with respect to chemical processing, uh, we we will have uh, a reduction there. Uh, the proportion of that, um, as, as I mentioned earlier, um, will depend on your s source of electricity. Um, <clears throat> so uh, that 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 I'm not sure of. Um, but uh, but we do expect the carbon emissions reduction. Interesting, because I just think this would be a strong invention. Then I will now pass over also to Mark and and Crystal. But just one quick follow up on this one, um, just from a, because we had another session here with someone working on cathodes, which also interesting, Virginia, um, a few episodes back, and also interesting her perspective and and just kind of the. So can you say like roughly what stage are you at? Like you know what kind of volume can you process today? Sure. Um, yeah. Um, so right now we're at a pilot plant. So we're probably at TRL seven. We're not a commercial technology yet. Um, we are building our first uh, commercial plant um, that will have a capacity of three thousand tons per year, uh, and that's projected to come online um, in, in the next eighteen to twenty-four months. Uh, so that's where we are. Uh, and then after that, the intention is to be able to replicate and grow um, and put out more more of these plants. And so that's that's where mangrove is. Uh, what was the second part of your question? 
Well, that's it. <laughs> you, you answered okay. it. So you're perfect. No, that, that makes sense. That's great. Um, that's exciting times for sure. I think there's now a few questions from Crystal. Do you want to quickly try to ask yours before we go to Mark and Goto? Yeah. Can you hear me now? Yes, we can. <laughs> yes, I can. Okay, perfect. Thanks for the time. So um, I know you were just mentioning about the cathode materials, but is there any interest or talk about lithium fluoride? Because I know that's going to be big for electrolyte salts, additives, all that. Yeah, lithium fluoride is an interesting one. Um, what do you do with the hydrofluoric acid, which is a very aggressive component, uh, compound? It's very, very difficult to handle. Um, yeah, we've we've looked at it. Uh, we've, for the time being, um, looked not to get too involved in it, just because of the material selection, safety. Um, and, and how to handle HF, uh, that it, uh, it may be an, it may be an odd thing for us to do, but there would certainly have to be some very, um, unique, uh, engineering things that we'd have to do <laughs> to, to be able to deal with that. So for, for that reason, we have, we've kind of stayed away, but we have, um, you know, We'll see if it becomes a major interest later on. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Hi, I have one more question for you, Saad. <clears throat> so I know that Tesla's building a refinery in Texas, and um, their goal is to produce battery-grade product from uh, you know, concentrates of various types. Um, you know, why, would, why would we go to you and say, I work for a recycling company, why would we go to you versus a Tesla for making a battery-grade product um, because, you know, at such a small scale, I would think there's some risk to going to a small client to convert rather than just going to a large client. They can convert it, and there's no risk in terms of getting battery grade because if we don't get battery grade, then that's a big hit in our processing. Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned our. Where, what do you mean by our? Uh, who do you work for? I work for Aqua Metals. Okay. Uh, excellent. Uh, so I was curious about that. Um, you had some really good questions. So, so um, I'm not familiar with the method. Uh, I know that Tesla is building a, a refinery in, in Texas. I'm not familiar with the method that they're using. Uh, but yeah. not all all um, refining methods would apply uh, to um, all different assets. So it will depend a little bit on the asset um, and what's coming out. So there. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if it's a clay that they're applying it uh, on, uh, where you may have, you know, maybe different different opportunities on, on the the techniques that you can use, um, and, and it will also depend a little bit on um, what kind of you know process you're using in terms of battery recycling. Uh, so, if it's a hydrometallurgical process, there's a requirement for consumables, um, then it probably makes more sense to be with a um, uh, with, with with a process that can also generate uh, assets for you. But if it's you know something else, um, uh, and that that refining operation is using, a, I think the other op, uh, alternative would be like maybe pressure leaching. Um, then that has a drawback. You need you need that consumables. So it will depend. Uh, it depends really on what the needs of the project and the needs of the assets are. Um, and that would be the reason of choosing one over the other, uh, as opposed to, you know, that I don't, I don't think that all, um, 
all techniques apply to all assets. Okay. Thank you for your answer. Yeah, no problem. Uh, we can connect later. Uh, you know, if you want to talk more. Sure. Let's connect. Nicole, do you want to go next? Hello. Ah, good. The, the, my my mic's working. Um, so we've we've seen some you know um increased demand for you know for talent in terms of the in terms of battery scientists. You know, are you seeing that in your business, and what's the effect? Yeah, uh, this, is, this is actually quite a an important point. We talked a lot about like supply not keeping up with demand. Well, if supply is not keeping up with demand, and you know that's a limit at assets, um, there is also a huge limit on qualified people within this sector that have been there and done that. Um, so the talent that's required for developing a project uh, for engineers that understand how lithium is processed, uh, that also needs to double uh, every three years now because we're increasing the number, amount of production. So that that has been uh, a challenge as well. And uh, I think this is this has been a challenge, not just, you know, for the lithium sector, there's been obviously a challenge with, you know, with qualified workforce and um, the availability of people uh, post COVID. And now we're talking about, you know, specifically uh, looking at engineering uh, disciplines, uh, and we're looking for scientists, uh, technicians, operators that are going to be applying themselves in, um, in this new, uh, tech, new area. But there's such a limited pool, because it was never at the scale that that it's, it, it's going to be at. Um, and so that has been a challenge. And so we, we've we been taking a strategy of trying to figure out, you know, what other sectors um, can transfer over in terms of skill sets uh, to, to the lithium sector. So oil and gas is a good one. Um, you know, if you're, if you're an oil and gas engineer and you're looking to say, well, maybe, maybe the job pool there is reducing over time, then lithium is, a, and you have, you know, still 20 years remaining in your career, lithium is a very good market to be in. I think that that skill is quite transferable. Um, but we've, we've had a challenge with this. Mm, yeah, uh, th thanks for that. Was that um, you, I mean, you're, you're CEO, so I'm guessing a big part of your, your work involves hiring people. How do you convince uh, someone to, to back your vision when, you know, someone, you know, China is calling, Europe is calling, um, you know, and all these big EV companies are calling. <laughs> yeah, um, I think, you know, uh, for, for one, um, I'm a very transparent person, a very honest person, so I, I completely share what our plan is and what we're looking to do. And um, from, from my perspective, um, any folks that we interact with um, or we're looking to bring in, I'm, I'm very honest about given the stage that that we are at the company that what kind of role they'll be playing um and and that's often quite uh, important to folks um in terms of you know uh, understanding that they'll be playing playing a meaningful role uh in um, uh, in what mangrove is building uh as well as where um we you know where their responsibilities link to uh to the to what the company's trying to do. Uh, and so I think, you know, from my perspective, 
having people bought in and how they're contributing uh, is quite important. Uh, and that's typically how, how I have a, have a discussion on um, why they should join Mangrove as opposed to, to somewhere else. Um, we, you know, by, I think that's, that's a big part of any, any position, whether, whether you're CEO or if you're, you know, uh, doing something else, a big part of it is how am I contributing and am I going to be feeling satisfied with, with the contribution that I've made? Got it. Got it. Yeah. I get you. That, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. No, my pleasure. And see, that's actually a great focus area. So in Canada, at least, uh, which is where Mangrove uh, is located and, and where Pulsenix is as well, um, there is a big focus in policy and, uh, you know, the hydrogen strategy and, and, and all of the different uh, battery mandates to increase the uh, domestic labor uh, for these industries. Now, uh, Saad, coming out of academia um, and, and your technology coming out of academia, can you tell us a bit more about where, you know, the, the relationship between academia and innovation when it comes to commercializing technologies that are really needed for us to transition uh, to meet our net zero goals? Um, there's, uh, there's many layers to this question. Um, so first I'll, I'll say this, that um, innovation doesn't need to come out of academia for it to, uh, you know, to commercialize. There, there are many, many, many probably better areas places that innovation can come out of uh, and, and be commercialized. Um, so we we spun out of UBC as something that I was doing. Um, but there, there would have been advantages of not being uh, in academia. But in general, um, I think the if we're looking for uh, technologies to eventually become companies and companies that become successful, um, then the 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 best way uh, to do that is to make sure that you have a lot of technologies coming out. So you're the the you know you go through the technology commercialization path, and technology readiness level of one all the way to nine to commercialization. That's that's a long process. You're going to go through multi, you know two valleys of deaths. Um, you're going to have ideas that are good ideas, but never practical and then you have practical ideas that can actually work but don't make it for uh personal reasons or for for different reasons uh business reasons ip whatever um and then you know you get maybe a few few handful of companies that are really really successful uh and so the best way to do that is to increase the probability uh, of those those companies succeeding uh, and so you can take two approaches. One, make sure that you have a lot of technologies that are coming out. Um, so remove barriers in, for innovation and entrepreneurship to spin out companies. Uh, and then two, uh, a lot of mentoring uh, of those companies to be able to get to that point where they're actually going to be successful. And so I think both you and myself, we, we came through Creative Destruction Labs. Uh, I'm not sure if Pulsenix did, but I think you did. Um, and so, you know, those, those become important things. So, uh, we have to focus on making it easier for entrepreneurs to spin out companies and to take it forward. Uh, and then we have to 
provide them good advice uh, to make sure that they're going to succeed. <clears throat> and, and to those who, who um, may not know, uh, Saad's company is actually supported by Bill Gates's um, investment firm, Breakthrough Energy. And there's obviously, you know, a, a relationship between uh, North America and Europe uh, through collaborations uh, with Breakthrough and, and so on and so forth. Saad, can you, can you illuminate or highlight some of the policies that um, are trying to, that are playing a role in, in trying to, to increase the competitiveness of the, of the battery supply chain in North America and Europe specifically? Uh, because we see a big focus on the downstream, we see a big focus on the, on the battery packs, uh, the hydrogen systems. Can yeah. you tell us a bit more about you know, the focus on the upstream side of things? Yeah, um, a couple of couple things I'll add just, just on that. So we, uh, we were funded by Breakthrough Energy Ventures who led our Series A investment, uh, but they weren't the only, they're not the only ones. BDC Capital, uh, which is Canada's bank for entrepreneurs, uh, is also an investor in Mangrove, uh, as well as BMWI Ventures. Um, so those three companies are invested in Mangrove Series A, and those are partners that we were really excited to bring on. Um, and especially BDC for Canadian companies is, is, uh, is, is, is a great partner to have. Um, in addition to that, I, I just want to say that, you know, um, while we are through Breakthrough Energy Ventures, there's a big difference between uh, the Bill Gates Foundation and, and Breakthrough Energy Ventures. Um, so those are kind of two separate, uh, separate things. Um, in terms of policy, I know that um, there has been uh, a lot more um, uh, discussion on what, cons what can be considered a, a local uh, supply chain. Um, and so within, within the United States, I think local isn't just United States, it's Canada, UK, and um, the EU. Uh, so I think that's a big deal, uh, and that's a big deal for um, Canadian companies. That's a big deal of uh, working with allies uh, and being able to trace where our critical minerals are coming from. I think that's really good. Um, the second thing that we've seen or recently when it was announced by, by Minister Wilkinson uh, on the critical mineral strategy was being being able to work with uh, with governments that are um, that are involving indigenous communities uh, on critical minerals. I think that's uh, that's that's quite important in in developing um, the supply chains as well. Uh, in the IRA, um, you know, there are tax incentives uh, that are related to setting up uh, battery manufacturing uh, capabilities in the United States. Um, uh, tax incentives, both for well, either for capex or for opex, um, and those can be quite important. Um, with respect to granting agencies, I know the DOE is working um, on, on projects, uh, as well as, you know, in Canada, we have SDTC um, that, that provides funding for, for these kind of things. And I know that those are being prioritized. And also, I, I believe Canada is looking to mirror um, the IRA with its own version. Um, we'll see uh, how, that, how that will be made available in the, over the next uh, few, few months. Fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing that and also giving this policy perspective as well. With this, I think we're getting pretty much to the end. If there's no other urgent question from anybody in this room at this time, otherwise feel free to raise your hand quickly or put it into the chat. Otherwise, I really want to you know, use this chance to, to thank you, Saad, for a great 
providing this great insight on the topic of lithium, especially on the topic of lithium refining. And as we learned also today, all of these connected topics there as well. Um, yeah, I'm sure people can stay in touch. I think, you know, Mark and others maybe are interested. What's the best way to get in touch with you, Saad? Um, yeah, uh, first of all, thank you for having me. Uh, really enjoyed the conversation. Um, some really good questions. Uh, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, so I just go by Sadhara, or you can email me at uh, Sadhara at mangrovelithium.com. Uh, you can also email through the Mangrove um, portal on our website, uh, which is I, th I think is just info at mangrovelithium.com. Um, so those are uh, places that I can be reached. Um, otherwise, Mangrove also has a Twitter account uh, as well as a LinkedIn page. Um, and we periodically put up, well, we, we talk uh, about the market, we talk a little bit about, you know, what we're doing. Um, and so it's, it's a good way to keep updated on what's happening in the market and what, and what projects are coming. Um, we try to make that more educational as opposed to make mangrove focused. Uh, but yeah, feel free to just reach out and I'm happy to always have a conversation. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Mayam. Any last words from your end? Just thank you so much, Saad, for, for the topic um, that you brought forth here. It was really interesting to understand the relationships um, and the dynamics in the upstream supply chain, which is something that, you know, I know there's a lot of talk about, but it's, it's often um, a huge topic uh, to, to tackle. So really appreciate you coming on and, and actually uh, speaking to us about it. My pleasure. Fantastic. Yeah. And maybe just the last word, um, if you're interested in this, feel free to either check out some of our past past recordings on, you know, as we mentioned, on the Battery Insiders, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere where you listen to your podcasts. You can find a range of different topics, including recycling and production and cathodes and, you know, solid state and lithium metal and all these interesting other topics in the world of batteries. There's, there's a lot of recordings to go through. Um, also, of course, you also can join us for the next session, which is going to take place again the first Saturday of the next month, which is going to be February. And the time probably will be decided a bit shorter to the day, depending on the time zone of the speaker as well. But yeah, please join us for that as well. And also maybe just the last word, because we spoke about talent. And anybody who knows me, Simon from Battery Associates, I'm very passionate about this topic. Free to also check out the Battery MBA, because yeah, we've got lots of brilliant people on there. And I'm sure you know we, we need all of the great people to do this important transition. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Thanks so much. Have a great weekend, everyone. You too. Take care. Bye-bye.